media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your hosts, Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. The Biden administration is determined to end America's use of hydrocarbon fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas. In past programs, we discussed the absolute disaster that would ensue if Biden were even remotely successful. In today's show, we'll be addressing the crucially important products that are made using crude oil. But Jay, surely we can't just use something else for plastics and jet fuel. Oh, we certainly cannot. There, there are no replacements. And it would appear the average American uh, thinks that all fossil fuels are for our transportation fuel. Nothing could be further than the truth. And the elimination of fossil fuels is a sure path to human extinction. We only live here because of we have a lot of carbon dioxide. Eliminating it is sheer insanity. As you point out, it isn't going to happen, but a lot of damage is going to be done uh, on the way. And we have uh, someone with us today, Ron Stein, who is clearly a leading expert uh, on this topic and understands what insanity is going on in California. And our listeners, I think, will be extremely interested in what he has to tell us. So go ahead and introduce Ron, Tom. Yeah, sure, Jay. Our guest today for the third time, no less, is California-based engineer Ron Stein, the author of several important books on energy, including one that we'll link to under the podcast with his co-author, Todd Royal, titled Clean Energy Exploitations, Helping Citizens Understand the Environmental and Humanity Abuses that Support Clean Energy. Ron is a licensed professional engineer and founder and ambassador for energy and infrastructure of the PTS Advance. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from California State University, Northridge. Ron's first career was in project management and engineering roles with major international engineering firms, Fleur and Bechtel. Ron now works to increase energy and infrastructure education and literacy in the wider public sphere. He's an internationally published columnist and energy expert who writes frequently about all aspects of energy and economics. So for the third time, Ron, welcome back to our show. <laughs> hey, I'm Tom. Glad to be back. Yeah. Ron, as a resident of California and clearly an individual that knows uh, as much or more about California energy as anyone, where you have a governor who has no clue as to the best way to supply the state with energy. Is he sane? Is he stupid? Does he wish to destroy his state? Jay, the elephant in the room that Gavin Newsom refuses to talk about is the emphasis on wind and solar for intermittent electricity and the divesting in fossil fuels, which is creating a lack of products in the future and a lack of fuels in the future for planes, ships, militaries, and the space programs. All the products and fuels are manufactured. I want to emphasize that word, manufactured from the same crude oil that built the world from one to eight billion people in less than 200 years. Our governor refuses to talk about the products crisis that his energy policies are creating. The governor fails to understand that we have a products crisis, not an energy crisis. 
The governor's efforts to tax California out of its energy crisis will fail and consumers and businesses will pay the price. All the 6,000 products in our daily lives are made from the oil derivatives that are manufactured out of crude oil, the same crude oil that Newsom wants to eliminate. In addition, all the fuels needed for the military, the space programs, the 50,000 merchant ships, the 50,000 jets in the world are dependent on the fuels manufactured from crude oil, again, the same crude oil that Newsom wants to eliminate. Newsom has set aspirational goals for energy transition, but it's only for electricity generation from natural gas and coal electricity generation to electricity from intermittent breezes and sunshine. His only goal is to reduce emissions, but fails to comprehend it without a planned replacement for crude oil to make those same products that support the economy, limiting the supply of those products and fuels manufactured for crude oil will inflict shortages and inflation and hardship in perpetuity on current lifestyle. Ron, I got to understand, you know, for our listening audience, can you talk about some of the products that maybe people don't realize, you know, my keyboard, for example, you know, or the computer that we're, uh, what is made with crude oil? Can you just give us a bit of a listing? I know there's 6,000 of them, but can you tell us some of the things people may not know? Well, I think a basic way to answer that question is with a question is take a look in your house, at your workplace, in the hospital. Try and identify something that was not made with the oil derivatives manufactured from crude oil. Mm -hmm. You know, from plastics, defibrillators, iPads, tires, uh, you name it. We didn't have a medical industry before 1900. Even things made with wood. I mean, they probably used gasoline-powered saws to cut down the trees, etc. <laughs> right. The motors were made with the oil derivatives and they get their electricity right now from using from fossil you, fuel. You said one very interesting thing that I'm sure most of the people in our audience wouldn't have uh, thought of, but could we even have a military without fossil fuel? Jay, the answer to that question is we had no military before 1900. They all, you know, from the transports, the jeeps, the trucks, the tanks, it, it's all made with oil derivatives. And yeah, before 1900, there was no military as we know it today, just people on horses. So to be clear, uh, we can't uh, fill our airplanes with uh, wind and solar energy or, or our ships, our, our transport ships. Uh, it would be over we would be a sitting duck for for China or any other country that wanted to invade us. We could not fight back. It's surprising to me that uh, more people don't readily understand this and therefore can be continuously duped by the whole idea that we can live without, without fossil fuels. What's the future for California this winter. I mean, you're shorting yourself on energy by eliminating fossil fuels, even eliminating nuclear power. And uh, it would seem to me that the state is likely to see uh, quite extensive blackouts. What are your thoughts? You're right. The state is walking a delicate balancing act. They're continually shutting down coal and natural gas power plants that generate continuous uninterruptible electricity. 
in favor of wind and solar that generate intermittent electricity dependent on breezes and sunshine. The, the thing that really disturbs me the most is what I call the nameplate farce. There should be financial penalties for wind and solar power plants, inability to deliver at least 90% of their permitted nameplate ratings on an annual basis. You know, like their backup competitors, coal, natural gas, nuclear, they provide continuous uninterruptible electricity. Subsidies for wind and solar plants are based on nameplate ratings and they should be penalized when they cannot deliver what they've been permitted for. Practically every windmill and solar panel requires a backup from coal, natural gas, or nuclear. And thus understanding that electricity's generation's true cost is paramount in choosing and prioritizing our future electrical generating systems. In summary, people are being conditioned to expect talk of rolling blackouts whenever the weather outside seems frightful. Yeah, you know, you mentioned one thing, Ron, that I think our listeners have probably heard a lot of, and that is the business of subsidies. You know, the environmental movement say, oh, we have to remove subsidies from the fossil fuel sector. Do they really get subsidies or is it more tax breaks that are normal for any business? Tax breaks, little normal. The, uh, the, the heavy subsidies are really through EVs and the wind and solar. And like I said, they get subsidies and they don't deliver what they've been permitted to deliver. And that's like I said, that's what I call the nameplate first. So when they go on about, oh, and subsidies to fossil fuel, the answer is, well, like what subsidies? Like show us, which ones are you talking about? And of course, you know, mom and pop donut company get tax write-offs because of their business expenses. And that's all you're saying that generally speaking, the fossil fuel sector gets. Yes, that's basically, you know, they write the tax codes and everybody abides by the tax codes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to change the subject just slightly. Uh, I read some of your writings relating to uh, nuclear fusion. And I think there are, uh, you know, people in the state that thinks uh, nuclear fusion will come along and save the state. And many of our listeners, I've talked about it in many of our shows. Uh, I just happened to be at Princeton when Albert Einstein was there and and knew him a little bit. And so I've been studying nuclear fusion now for 75 years. And uh, I frankly have uh, no hope that it's going to solve any uh, energy problems because of the the cost of fusing animals, atoms to create more electricity, which has been tried now for 50 years around the world. Uh, has failed uh, to produce uh, any significant amount of energy uh, at any reasonable cost. Are you still feeling that that nuclear could save the state? No, no. You know, if it does come to reality in the decades ahead, you're right, there's a lot of technical challenges. We got temperatures to deal with. uh, We don't have metals to deal with those temperatures. But facing reality, fusion, just like wind and solar in our current nuclear and hydro only generate electricity. None can manufacture any products or fuels for our transportation infrastructures needed by the 8 billion on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, on the other hand, we have crude oil that is never used for generating electricity and is virtually useless unless it's manufactured into usable products via the 700 refineries around the world. 
Today, the world's 8 billion people are de dependent on those more than 6,000 products and the fuels for the merchant ships and the jets and the military, space programs. They're all based on fuels manufactured from crude oil. Mm -hmm. We may have long-range plans to generate electricity from wind, solar, and nuclear fusion, but we have no plans to replace the crude oil that's manufactured into everything in our daily lives that brought us through the Industrial Revolution and could bring billions out of poverty and into the Industrial Revolution in developing countries. Yeah, so you have to ask the enviros, okay, so when was the last time you used a wind turbine to make plastic, you know? <laughs> and surely plastic has been an incredible um, development for the modern world. I mean, look at hospitals, you get rid of plastic. You remember that video, I'll put it under the podcast when it goes up on Monday, where they had a guy sitting watching TV and they said, okay, what would the world be like? Hydrocarbons and things start disappearing. And you know, he, falls, he falls on the ground, everything's gone except his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but even that was made with fossil fuels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is crazy. And I get my goal always every week with our radio show is try to convince our listening audience to help change the minds of what I think is probably 80% of the public that actually thinks that the burning of fossil fuel has created a climate emergency and that we can do without it. And I, I've been long looking for a simple slogan that I could just say in a few words uh, to everybody. I don't know that I've found it yet, but I, I keep trying. The slogan I've been using, and I'd like your opinion on it, is that the elimination of fossil fuels is a sure path to human extinction. Uh, we only live here because we have carbon dioxide. We eliminate it, uh, nothing on earth will live. What, what do you think? I agree. The key item that in California with Newsom and all the spokespersons promoting the elimination of fossil fuels, they're oblivious to the fact there's no plans to replace what's manufactured from fossil fuels as renewables cannot manufacture anything. Life support for the 8 billion people on this earth is, as you mentioned, on the products and fuels manufactured from crude oil. If we pull a plug on their life support, yes, billions would be at risk as we revert back to the 1800s. And before when we had none of those products and fuels. Today, the world's 8 billion people, they're dependent on numerous infrastructures that did not exist before 1900. As yeah, well as yeah. all the products and, and fuels. We may have long-range plants to generate electricity, again, from wind, solar, and nuclear fusion, but we still have no plans to replace those products. Yeah, it strikes me, Ron, that we've built up a massive human population largely on the products of fossil fuels, including fertilizers for our food, for example. So surely if we try and revert to conditions of 150 years ago, we cannot support the billions that now exist, the billions of people that have been born. And so, I mean, wouldn't this be just mass suicide, basically? Back to the 1800s. Mm -hmm. you know, the 1800s, we had no coal-fired power plants, no natural gas power plants. The Beverly Hillbillies hadn't discovered oil yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> life, was, life was hard. You know, yeah. people very seldom lived to 40. So, so I think we bring that up a lot more. We have to say, okay, look around you, one in every... Um, six people would survive the Holocaust that would follow if you actually did what you're talking about doing. Are you prepared to kill five, six of the people in this room? 
You know, my position is how, how dare Newsom and all these spokespersons promoting the elimination of fossil fuels really support jumping out of a plane without a parachute yeah. before we have a plan to replace them. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's doing, he's doing one thing that I know you're very expert about. He is uh, trying to remove all gasoline-powered internal combustion engines and move to electric cars. And I know you've written widely about it. Uh, the state of California could no more handle 100% electric cars than the country as a whole. Uh, I've done a good deal of research on it, and I don't think there's enough electricity in the United States or materials in the world uh, to convert entirely to uh, electric cars. So that would seem like something that the citizens of California would uh, resent and uh, reject. What's the general attitude in California about uh, Newsom's uh, crazy directive that by after 2035, no more internal combustion engines? I think it's coming to rea reality pretty closely. The, the passion for EVs, you know, to help achieve lower emissions is only happening in wealthy countries. And those wealthy countries, they're oblivious to the potential insurmountable and uncontrollable challenges facing the automobile industry. You know, zero emission to any cost seems to be the direction being mandated by governments in the ESG movement uh, to divest in fossil fuels. If we look at each of the pieces of the EV puzzle, there may be a formula for the automobile industry going into a death spiral. Jay, you're right. There's extremely limited supply chain for lithium to make the current technology batteries. There's a lack of buyers outside the elite profile of the existing EV owners. There's a shortage and in inflation of all the material supplies to make vehicles. And due to EV battery fire potentials, this questionable means how are you going to transport the EVs being made in foreign countries over to the United States? There's concern about is renewable electricity being able to charge the EVs. And the government's lack of ethical, moral, and social responsibilities by encouraging through subsidies they're just encouraging exploitation of people with yellow, brown, and black skin that are mining for these exotic minerals and metals in the poor developing countries to support the green movement in wealthy countries. And it's yeah, starting, to, starting to show I, in the stock market. You know, I wanted to direct people back to your book, Clean Energy Exploitation, helping citizens understand the environmental and humanity abuses that support clean energy. This is a really major thing. You know, Ron, in the Ottawa election, one of the people that we were working with actually asked what they called the bombshell question. She asked the audience, are you prepared, or sorry, she asked the, the people competing for mayor, are you prepared to electrify the city on the backs of African children working in the cobalt mines? And she described what was happening there with radioactive dust and all that. And the candidates were completely dumbfounded because they couldn't say, well, to heck with the children, we're going to electrify the city anyway. And they didn't want to say, oh, we're not going to electrify the city to save the children. So, I mean, I think we really have to push back on that issue because, you know, left-wingers look pretty darn bad when they promote something that's going to cause such human rights abuses. You're right. And then they go ahead and provide the subsidies, which encourages all that to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that uh, the electric car is ultimately going to be the downfall in California as more and more people. I consider this year, 2023, the wake up year. I, I think we're going to see a significant sea change 
of uh, people all over the country waking up to the delusion they've been fed now for a couple decades with regard to anti-fossil fuel and wind and solar and, and those things. And the electric car is kind of an easy one, especially uh, putting a year on it that Newsom did 2035 uh, will get people thinking. Now, I don't believe it will put the automobile industry in a death spiral because I believe the automobile manufacturers will be able to figure out just how many electric cars they can make and sell. So I think they're a little bit ahead of the game, uh, knowing that this is a niche uh, for them and not going to take over uh, their industry. But with all the craziness that, uh, that Newsom has been putting over on the California population, uh, what do you think is going to happen politically in the state? Who's going to be the next governor? Is there any hope for, not, for sense to take hold in the governor's office? Well, with California being the most environmentally regulated and controlled location in the world, he or she needs to do a couple things. A, identify the replacement for crude oil to keep this economy going before we annihilate billions in the world from starvation and diseases and weather-related deaths. And two, reduce the leakage of emissions to other countries with significantly less environmental controls to reduce world emissions. You know, we're, we're the fourth largest economy in the world and you know, Newsom has continually increased our importation of crude oil. Um, it was 5% in 92, now it's almost 60% today. And he continues his mission to continue to decrease in state oil production. And California is basically getting more and more dependent every year on foreign imports. You know, California's crude oil demands have been increasing year over year ever since 1995. And today, those, those tankers that are bringing in the oil, they're polluting more than our vehicle fleet. <laughs> you know, yeah. going, going to the distance they've got to drive, they're basically going to water, they're contributing annually double, double, double the annual emissions of the entire mobile fleet of California. Wow. Jeez. Can you talk a little bit more about leakage? I don't know if people will know what that means. Well, we, we basically don't want to manufacture something here. We manufacture it over there. Um, I guess simplistically, Newsom only breathes California air. Nothing outside of that. But if, it's, if, if someone manufactures something somewhere else and pollutes, he doesn't breathe that air. He's reduced California emissions, but he's increased emissions over there, which you know obviously comes over here. It's the same air. But he's basically focused on keeping the California bubble as clean as he can. And uh, he'll, he'll drill somewhere else that doesn't have the same environmental controls. He'll manufacture somewhere else, doesn't have the same environmental controls here. So we're basically leaking those emissions to someone else. So if he says it's a global problem, well then, yeah, if, if you believe that, then what good does it do to shift it to some other place that has worse environmental standards? Well, for him, it's not a global problem. It's a California problem. And he's only trying to solve California. And yeah, internationally, it's, it's, it's going downhill. Well, this is a good uh, place to break for a uh, 
commercial and uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes and hang on with us our listeners While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared. Sea level rise has not been unusual and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. Beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Well, we're back with Ron Stein, who's an engineer based in California and the author of several important books on energy, including the one that I'm most in love with, Clean Energy Exploitations, Helping Citizens Understand the Environmental and Humanity Abuses that Support Clean Energy, with clean in quotes. And what do you mean when you put clean in quotes, Ron? Well, again, you know, we talk about all the mining going on for these exotic minerals and metals, the lithium and the cobalts. Um, lithium mining is strip mining. It is dirty. You know, people thought coal mining was dirty. 
coal mining is clean compared to lithium mining. And the environmental degradation is, is obnoxious and like I say, it destroys the landscape. And in foreign countries, whenever they've got the lithium done, they just move on to the next site. They don't reclaim the site. You know, here, if you're gonna do anything, you gotta reclaim the site back to its original condition or better. But um, in foreign countries, they just, you know, move on, destroy the lakes and rivers and, you know, pollute this and, you know, get rid of vegetation and move on to another piece of vacant land. Ron, you're so correct. I want to say something to our audience that probably is not aware of. Our reclamation laws uh, over surface mining and coal mining in the United States are so strong that if you fly over a, a mining state of which uh, Ohio is, uh, you can locate where the, the mines previously were by looking for the most uh, beautiful natural settings. I mean, the land is, uh, is put back better than it was uh, initially. And as you point out, around the world, that's virtually never done. That is so true. It's uh, like I say, it's a double standard. And, you know, the fact that it's over there, out of sight, it's okay. And that's, that's part of the leakage concept that I was mm -hmm. talking to uh, you guys about. So Exactly. There's a new term going around. I'm going to guess half our audience has heard of it and the rest half will soon. And it's, uh, it's net zero. Our listeners are hearing that net zero, uh, which essentially means no more carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, I find it nothing more than a joke because net zero means the end of life on Earth. What are your thoughts about the net zero campaign? I think I've read about it in California. Well, net zero in its corollary, the energy transition, they're all talked about so often and so loosely that many take them for granted as worthy goals that could be accomplished with greater buy-in from political and business leaders. The bank boardroom decisions that are allowing the investment community to collude, to reshape the economies and lifestyles, so they're in line with these preferences of banks and other financial institutions, that's an extremely dangerous precedent. Consumers never voted to give banks this sort of control over our world. You know, until we can replace what is now manufactured from those fossil fuels, our focus needs to be on climate challenges, not climate change, climate challenges, like we have in various seasons and weather challenges around the world, like earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, etc. Humans have the technology and products to adapt to anything. You know, our lifestyles are predicated on those products and fuels and you know we space program and it's all based on what's manufactured from crude oil mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know one thing that might be interesting is to challenge these environmentalists to live without crude oil okay establish your own little community off on the side and show us how it's done okay stop using your electric keyboards start stop using you know all these different things and show us especially here in canada at minus 30 can you survive without fossil fuels just demonstrate it Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and of course, it, it can't be done. And, and we're seeing nations waking up around the world. Germany is facing a very cold winter 
with very little energy. Uh, they've already reopened half a dozen coal mines to supply uh, coal-fired plants. And I'm wondering if you think that the devastation that could well reach Germany this winter could be a wake-up call to others around the world. It's definitely becoming a wake-up call. With Germany's extreme weather, winter weather conditions, without affordable electricity and natural gas and affordable products manufactured from the fossil fuels, there will probably be heavy numbers of fatalities. As we observed in the recent Arctic blast over most of the Eastern America, the world is already beginning to realize the reliance on just intermittent electricity is an inability to support living in any weather condition, which we now can do. Yeah, that is uh, extremely interesting when uh, people uh, who enjoy winter live in Northern uh, Canada, uh, or live uh, very far south where the average temperature is high. You're exactly right. What energy has allowed us to do is uh, live anywhere we want and, and adjust to whatever the conditions are. And the fastest way to destroy life is take away the tools that allow us to live uh, absolutely wherever we want. Uh, I'm fortunate to... Uh, be on a teleconference with uh, people in Germany uh, every every week and kind of getting a lowdown what's going on there. And uh, they're just kind of seeing the beginning of the wake up and the fact that they're going to have to move back to fossil fuels. Unfortunately, their politicians, the people in charge of their enemy energy are still not converted to the fact that being uh, thinking that uh, wind and solar can support their country is a very, very uh, wrong idea. Mm -hmm. I want to move to politics a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. I was shocked by the midterm election, 2020. How do you see the election, the impact in California and elsewhere as perhaps changing or not changing uh, the politics of the population? Well, there's got to be conversations. There's got to be conversations because the, the world, the country continues to be mesmerized by the ruling class and the media that the world needs an all electric world. The ruling class and the media, they believe that the products and fuels manufactured from fossil fuels, they're supporting infrastructures, lifestyles, economies that did not exist before 1900. They believe they're dangerous and polluting and it's causing dangerous climate challenges. In a futuristic all-electric world, the ruling class and media believes that all those infrastructures developed in less than 200 years, two centuries, you know, from the products, you know, from crude oil, they're not needed by futuristic societies, such as medical, electronics, communications, and the transportation infrastructures like airlines, merchant ships, automobiles, trucks, military, space programs. Jay, Tom, we, we definitely need conversations because, you know, I don't want to live in that kind of society. I'm not going to go back to the 1800s. You know, ultimately no one will, but that's why they need, they've been for 30 years, the drumbeat of the media has been telling them that we are the cause of climate change 
that could be disastrous just by simply uh, raising the temperature of the planet uh, a degree or two. Uh, I'm of the school that believes that our emission of carbon dioxide has no impact whatever on the temperature of the planet. The temperature of the planet is determined by our solar system, uh, changes in the sun, the positions of the planets in our solar system, major, major uh, powerful things uh, way beyond uh, carbon dioxide e emissions. But one of the things that concerns me is uh, where are we going to go from here? Uh, what did the 2020 election tell us about the country and its willing to ultimately wake up? Not much. Like I said, we're following the leaders. And, uh, and until we attain some energy literacy and know the unintended consequences of making those decisions of picking winners and losers, uh, we are destined to a lot of surprises. Mm -hmm. Well, what do they say when you bring up this? You know, if you say to an environmentalist or a politician, look, uh, you, we need it for plastic. We need it for all these different. Do they just say we're not going to have to use plastic? We're just going to have a society based on what? Wood and cloth? <laughs> well, Tom, the, the problem is that those people that are so green, per se, uh, won't talk to us. Uh. We'll get involved in a conversation. Because if you sit down and go face to face, you can have a conversation and, and do an interview like a Barbara Walters type thing, but they won't sit down. Mm -hmm. And so um, I can ask a question, but I'm asking a question to a, to a wall. So they must hate you then. I mean, bringing these points up because they just don't <laughs> want to address them. Uh, well, they avoid it because they have no answers. Mm -hmm. And they just keep promoting oh. the world's coming to an end. There is one, uh, you know, as I said, I consider 2023 the year of a sea change in people's thinking about wind and solar being able to support life as we uh, know it. Uh, most of our listeners have probably heard the term ESG, where in the uh, banks and investment organizations have been scoring companies for their environmental actions, their social actions, their governance, wanting to only invest in companies that they feel are, are right-minded in, in terms of those issues, environment, social, and government. And in the last couple of months, uh, their ideas that money could be made in the stock market by investing in companies with a high ESG score has, has absolutely fallen to earth uh, and is on its way out. It's a small thing, perhaps, but it's an indication of my belief uh, in, in, in the wake-up. Now, if you were in charge, what would your plan be for the, the nation energy-wise? A uh, couple things. Uh, first of all, and primarily, I would maximize the health and well-being of those 8 billion now on this planet. We, we basically grew from one to 8 billion in a couple hundred years. Now, today, we need those 50,000 merchant ships and 50,000 jets moving products and medicines around the world. B, I would focus on energy literacy for the public, which starts 
with the knowledge that renewable energy from wind and solar is only intermittent electricity generated from unreliable breezes and sunshine. And the fact that wind turbines and solar panels cannot manufacture, cannot manufacture anything for those 8 billion. Thirdly, I would address the elephant in the room that I mentioned before, the ruling class and media refuse to talk about, i.e. the lack of products in the future manufactured from fossil fuels that built the world from one to eight billion. And limiting the supply of products manufactured from those fossil fuels is going to inflict shortages and inflation. We're seeing that now in perpetuity in current and future lifestyles. Before we rid the world of fossil fuels, that was the reason we populated so, so quickly, I would seek a planned replacement that can manufacture those same products and fuels before we jump out of the plane without a parachute. And if there's no such replacement, if there's no replacement, then we got to continue with the fossil fuels to enhance the lifestyles of the billions in developing countries that want to live like we do in the wealthy countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, take out your crystal ball, Ron. I don't know, again, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. I am definitely an optimist. And I'm seeing my optimism come to the fore, with the exception, of course, the midterm election. I missed that by a country mile in uh, terms of how the House of uh, Representatives would, uh, would turn out. But if you uh, exercise your futurism, where do you think the United States will be in a decade? Georgia's. Um, again, getting back to that elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about is the lack of products in the future. Currently, there's 700 refineries around the entire world that are manufacturing those derivatives to make the products and the fuels for all the transportation infrastructures. And 20% of those are projected to close in the next five years. That's 140 refineries closing. Now we're talking about reducing the supply at the same time the world demand is increasing. Mm -hmm. Well, when you got increased demand and a shortage on supply, you got shortages in inflation and perpetuity. And the environmental, social, and governance movement, ESG movement, is, is being, I want to say, the good news is they're being, they're being successful. The bad news is they're successful in divesting in fossil fuels. And it's really tough on these refineries to, you know, keep them operating. And if they start closing, there's, there's going to be a lot of shortages of everything. Mass starvation, I suppose, especially starting in the third world, because they won't have the funds to pay for the much higher fossil fuel costs. Exactly. Well, Tom mentioned at the very beginning of the show uh, about the, the pain will be inflicted in California and elsewhere uh, by any, all efforts to reduce the use of fossil fuels. And when you talk about uh, many dozens of refineries shutting down where the material will not be available to refine into the 6,000 products we've talked about, it would seem to me the, the, the punishment exacted at every single one of those refineries will by, be felt by large numbers of people and, and will really start to see uh, a wake-up call to more and more of our citizens. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we've got to really go after the cause of a lot of this, and that is the climate scare. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in something else, but the climate scare seems to be the common denominator for a lot of these actions on the part of the environmentalists. Yes, and you know, it's not the public's uh, stupidity. It, it's, it's not necessarily stupidity, but lack of energy literacy. Again, it starts with the knowledge that the renewables of the wind, solar infusion, it's on the electricity. And ironically, everything that needs electricity, everything that needs electricity is made with the oil derivatives manufacturer of crude oil. Mm -hmm. You get rid of, you know, electricity can charge your iPhone, can't make your iPhone. It can make the defibrillator work, but it can't make the defibrillator. And like I say, these unreliable breezes and sunshine, they can't manufacture anything. And you yeah. get rid of crude oil, you will get rid of wind turbines, solar panels, and all vehicles, because all the parts are made with the oil derivatives manufactured from crude oil back to the 1800s. Yeah, I, I don't know why this hasn't come up more. I mean, people fight back concerning fuel and the fact that we need it for transportation. But with the exception of the three of us, I don't hear very many people actually speaking about this issue of not having the products to back, basically run our world. You're right. Like I say, it, it, the need is to have some energy conversations because, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of faith in our, our leaders and the media because our leaders have access to the microphone, you know, the Bidens, the Newsoms, and whatever they say into the microphone, the media transcribes and prints. You know, take Biden. He's flying around in a 200-ton airplane. 100% made with the oil derivatives manufactured from fossil fuels. It's, it's in the air because of the um, aviation fuel manufactured from fossil fuels. And he's speaking in the microphone, we're gonna get rid of fossil fuels. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, Lee, you know, I guess the only good thing about getting rid of fossil fuels is you would ground Air Force One. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, yeah, like Leonardo DiCaprio, when he went to the Cancun conference in Mexico, the climate conference, he went down in his yacht and then he had a high speed boat to take him back and forth from the conference. Nobody seemed to point out uh, that's a little hypocritical. And I don't know if you saw the most recent climate conference uh, in Europe. They had 45,000 people go. 45,000, like they haven't heard of Zoom yet. <laughs> I mean, if they're concerned about energy consumption, you know, it's funny, when I went to the climate conference in Copenhagen, there were 30,000, and they said that was the largest conference in the history of the world. Now it's up to 45,000, which I presume is, you know, now the largest conference in the history of the world, which, which is gobbling up all this energy to supposedly stop us from using energy. You will see the highest concentration of private jets at all these conferences. Yeah, so it's not like Gandhi. Remember, he used to say, live simply so others simply may live. It's do what I say, not what I do. And, and yeah, I think it's important to point out the hypocrisy, but also to basically focus more and more on the products, because I just don't see that anywhere, except, you know, what you're writing for sure. And what Jay and I have started writing on. <laughs> Education is clearly the problem. Uh, we have a populace in this country and around the world who have been fed misinformation about uh, fossil fuels and energy and electricity for uh, three decades. And we have got to re-educate them. And that's really difficult. Of the 50,000 listeners will hear this program, I'm hoping that every one of them 
will share some of this information with a friend or neighbor or colleague and, and get them to recognize they have been deluded. Most of them should understand from grammar school, we learned about photosynthesis and carbon dioxide and, and water to allow plants to grow. Without carbon dioxide, there are no plants, uh, there are no animals surviving, there's no man surviving. It really is a life or death situation for the population on earth. And that's what we've got to teach people, not that uh, we're going to have a catastrophic problem because the temperature of the planet increases uh, a degree or so, because that is simply not true. Mm -hmm. We also, I think, should encourage people to go to the microphone in public meetings with their politicians and, and really drill in on it. Like, where are you going to get the plastics required to run our hospitals? Where are you going to get the plastics for my computer at home? Where are you going to get all these things, Mr. Politician? Like, it sounds to me like we need public to be brave and stand up and just nail them. You know, uh, one article that I just finished writing will be published next week at uh, cfact.org. The single issue that more people agree on as being something bad that's happening is uh, sea level rise. And uh, coastal cities worry about being flooded and so on. And I was able to gather data for, from the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Agency, which actually is charting sea level all around the world. They have tw 10 cities that they've kept track of for uh, anywhere from 50 to 120 years. And they published the data without fudging it, without trying to come up with any particular uh, conclusion. And I was able to gather all their data and publish it all for the 10 cities. And at all 10 cities around the world, the average rise in sea level is 11 inches per century, not a foot next year or 10 foot in 10 years, 11 inches per century. Uh, we're going to be writing a series of these articles showing that floods, droughts, forest fires, and the like are not increasing at all as a result of our use of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So Ron, what are your next plans? You're working on a new book or what's going on? <laughs> Yes, uh, think about another book about energy challenges because it's all geared around challenges and being on, you know, society, on health, um, everything. So that we're going to be facing a lot of challenges. And I think in the future, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing at, at the ruling class and the media that refuse to talk about this elephant in the room, you know, the lack, lack of products in the future. And, you know, limiting the supply of products is you know, manufacturing fossil fuels, we're, we're seeing it now. We're seeing shortages and inflation on everything from you know, refrigerators and parts for cars. You know, realization worldwide that the green movement has no plans to replace all that's manufacturing fossil fuels. It's just a plan to only generate net zero emissions from electricity, from breezes and sunshine. And you know, that's what Newsom here in California is talking about. He wants zero emissions, but he's not looking at the impact on society of going in that direction. Interestingly, as I mentioned, everything that needs electricity is made by the oil derivatives manufacturing crude oil. 
in yeah. an all-electric world, there'll be nothing to power without oil. Yeah, it's like net zero is going to bring about net zero civilization. And as Jay says, essentially, eventually, net zero humanity. <laughs> right. Well, well it, you know, it can't it, happen. It can't happen. No, no. Because, you know, without addressing that elephant in the room, you know, a world without those products that allow society to grow as much as we did in 200 years, will get, it may get us to net zero emissions that we had in the 1800s, but we'll be there with a few less billion people that are dying from starvation and diseases and hardship and weather-related deaths. Yeah, it kind of begs the question, do people like Newsom understand this or are they totally ignorant or are they doing it on purpose? I mean, you have some people, perhaps conspiratorial people, who say, well, they're trying to eradicate humanity or they're trying to bring the whole world population down to a billion. Do you think the powers that be actually are that nefarious or do you think they are simply ignorant. Uh, at this point, I've, I've got to say ignorance um, because you know, I've got you know massive staffs to you know provide them, and but you know they're basically calling the shots. And you know if if you sit them down and have a conversation, maybe they would do an interview with Barbara Walters, but she's not around anymore. But um, yeah, it, someone's got to go face to face with them and, and ask those hard questions. Mm-hmm. Because I'd like I'd like to hear the answers. Yeah, yeah, and they they and have the, kids. You know, you think they'd be concerned about the future? I would think so because, uh, like I say, they you know they're they're setting the tone and you know picking winners and losers. You have these unintended consequences, and you want to evaluate them. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? You know, yeah, we may go to net zero, but hey, we're going to get there. Be a few billion people less on Earth, but we're going to get there. Do you really want to do that versus, you know, if if the earth is rising in temperature, you know, we can, I've got a lot of confidence in man's ability to do anything, engineer up anything. We can live in any weather condition. If it gets warmer, you know, we can live in those conditions. You know, we'll be planting, um, you know, corn in Wisconsin, maybe at some point in time. And we may not be able to grow it in uh, Florida at some point in time, but, you know, the world's changed in 4 billion years and it's going to continue to change. Yeah. Well, also the temperature change has been so minor since 1880, 1.1 degrees Celsius. I mean, you know, various scientists say, well, if it weren't for climatologists, we'd never even notice. <laughs> I, I find that uh, concept hard to comprehend because, you know, here in California, we always have, you know, from sunrise to, you know, the heat of the day, the temperature could change like 30, 40 degrees. Mm. And if it changed thirty point one degrees, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, Jay, Jay, isn't it true? Isn't it true that the computer models, if you believe them, forecast the warming would occur most in the high latitudes and at night in the winter? And I don't think there's very many life forms that would care if it was minus forty nine instead of minus fifty. So, to, mm-hmm. to which I say, so what? Yeah, right. that's you're exactly right. All of the models. Uh, predict things that are number one, not a problem, uh, number two, uh, generally false. I mean, we really have no idea where the temperature of the earth is going. We just know it isn't going very far in, uh, in any direction. And everything that has been, that is said and been said for decades is just to scare people. The purpose of scaring people is for them to want more power in government to solve their problems. And it, it never uh, 
never happens. My final question of you, Ron, uh, deals with, do you think there will be some waking up in California when uh, people feel the pinch of not being able to manufacture a certain product, uh, not having enough energy to get through uh, a cold winter? Do you see a change within your neighbors over the next year? Yes, I do. As I mentioned, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing because the people that can afford it, you know, if the price of gasoline goes up, the price of electricity goes up, or the price of bananas goes up, if you're making the big bucks, no problem. If you're on, you know, low income or fixed income, the, the separation between the, the people well off and the ones barely making it, they're it's getting wider and wider. You know, our homeless population is growing faster than anything else. And, you know, that's part of the problem that those people just can't afford it. And so I, I, I see a lot of pressure being put on more and more conversation. You got to have a conversation on this subject. Uh, like I say, I, I, I'm all for getting rid of fossil fuels, but, you know, damn it, show me the plan, you know, before I jump out of that airplane. And so, exactly. yeah, yeah, it's, it's really insane. And we have to do what we did in Ottawa here. We just went to the mic and we bombarded the people in the election. And actually, the climate alarmist didn't win, which was wonderful. So we've got to end the show now. It's too bad. I have lots more questions. We'll have to have you on again, Ron. Our guest today has been California-based engineer Ron Stein. He's the founder and ambassador for energy and infrastructure of the PTS Advance. So, Ron, thanks again for being on our show for a third time. Tom, Jay, it's been a pleasure. Okay, thank you.